Welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 23 here on this chilly Thursday, February 11th in the nation's capital. I am your co-host, Tom Pyle, and... And I'm your hostess, Mike McKenna. We are recording from undisclosed locations today uh, because of the one to two, one to three inches of snow. One, one to six feet of snow in Washington. <laughs> the one to three inches of snow, which caused my two of my three children to be delayed by two hours. So uh, actually, believe it or not, a little bit of a lighter week this week than, we, than we're, we're accustomed to. Uh, certainly no shortage of things going on, but uh, I don't know where do you want to start this week, Mike? You want to give us a rundown on impeachment? I'm not following this one. I don't I, nearly I'm, as closely as you might be. Yeah, unfortunately, I am. Our position at the Washington Times yeah. probably uh, dictates that you be paying a little bit closer attention. So I'm going to turn this over to you and let's get an update on impeachment, where we are and where it's headed. Yeah, we're going to be done with this probably by Sunday, I would expect, right? Uh, um, the House managers have made their case. They close up today. Um, it's all video. Um, there's no legal substance at all. They didn't make any legal case. It's all been political and, you know, wasn't as terrible. And, um, you know, Lindsey Graham, how he's... How, how he is given to do sometimes wandered inexplicably into the truth where he said this is all great but it doesn't actually prove anything um you know we have a criminal system that takes care of all this stuff why are we here um which is of course the correct question um anyway long story short they're gonna wrap it today um probably have two days of the um president's team wandering around a little bit and then i expect a um maybe Saturday even, but certainly no later than Sunday, a motion to do something with this, move to convict, motion to dismiss, whichever. We're gonna have a vote. They're gonna be, they're gonna be all sitting back at their houses by um, Washington's birthday, right, Monday. So um, the state-controlled media or state-aided, uh, the, the state-assisted media, I'm not calling it the mainstream media anymore. Uh, they're making much ado about Mitch McConnell supposedly making this a vote of conscience. Yeah. I, okay. So I can't ever figure out whether people don't actually know what they're doing for a living <laughs> or whether they're, or whether they're, 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 um, a being destructive intentionally. Right. Um, you know, anybody who knows anything about the Hill knows that when a leader or a whip tells you, Hey man, vote your conscience. What he, what he means is, uh, this is not a vote that we're whipping. This is not a vote that has party implications. This is not a vote on which we expect you to toe the line. It's literally a vote that we don't care how you vote. Do what you want to do. Um, <clears throat> and that's been shorthand for uh, 40 years at least, right? And probably 40 years before that too. Um, so when he announced it, right, everyone was like, oh, my, it's a vote of conscience. A big I'm like, all, all it meant was McConnell had no interest in telling you how to vote. Um, and in my limited experience, your limited experience too, right? Usually when guys release their members on, you know, to vote their conscience, it usually means they've already counted the votes and now they're going to win. So they don't want to, you know, they're, 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 it's an announcement almost that, you know what, we're, we're fine. You boys do what you want to do. Um, and it wasn't reported that way at all in the media. Yeah. Which, 
Yeah, it was like a. Ooh, what does that mean? Does does that mean even though he he actually voted uh, on record to say that it was not constitutional to try to impeach somebody who's no longer in office, that pretty much signaled his his vote. Um, well, you can't you can't look. Only somebody as slow witted as um, Senator Cassidy could. <laughs> could identify something as unconstitutional. <laughs> I'm sorry, I literally spit my tea out all over my computer. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Oh, crap. That was hilarious. <laughs> sorry. I'm getting myself together here. <laughs> it, it, it. <laughs> Once you've identified some as unconstitutional, how how could you be in favor of it afterwards? It, there are 44, 45, however many there are with Mr. Cassidy, Dr. Cassidy in there. Um, think so constitutional. And that's how they're going to vote at the end of it. When when and that's the other part where I wonder, you know, what's the line between negligence and 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 just not knowing what you're doing with the press? Because they were like, oh, this is unconstitutional votes, you know, on a, you know, important and blah, blah, blah. But they didn't identify it clearly as why it was important. It gave everybody cover. So no matter what happened in the trial, the Republican senators were prepared to vote no. Because no, we already told you we think this is unconstitutional. Yeah. Um, like I said, the only, the only guy who didn't get the memo was apparently Dr. Cassidy. Um, <laughs> well, and it, I, it, it, part of the reason I'm laughing, well, besides the fact that that was hilarious, is that this is the mockery and the joke that they've made out of impeachment. Yeah. Um, I mean, I wasn't around. I was, well, I was a child. I was still in my single digits, but the the whole Nixon thing was a big deal. It was a massive deal, like bordering on sort of national crisis type stuff, right? Um, Even though it was simply, you know, the covering up of a break-in. But I mean, these guys, these Democrats are making a mockery of all the sort of cultural institutional norms uh, in town. Uh, they're just flaunting all of them. And, and, you know, this is just the icing on the cake, in my view. Yeah, it's. Um, this is unnecessarily vindictive, pointless. And if you talk to the Democrats privately, they'll tell you that, too, right? Um, the the um, the thing that strikes me about it is, and in, in, I, I, let me bring in an unrelated but related story. Two Republican congressmen, um, I can't remember who. I want to say Mo Brooks, but I'm not sure it's Mo. And one of the Texans um, sent a letter to the Sergeant at Arms, um, asking whether Speaker Pelosi had been fined for avoiding the magnetometers, right? Um, you know, that 5,000 a pop, they think, you know, she at least did it twice. Um, and the tricky part is all the, all this camera stuff that the, um, all the, all the cameras, some of the cameras that are being used, some of the cameras for which the videos are, um, originated that are being used in the trial also would show that speaker Pelosi avoided the magnetometer. So we know those things are on camera, right? And the, the members, um, hit the sergeant at arms and Stephen Dinan, the very excellent reporter at the Washington Times, wrote a great story about it this morning. Uh, called me uh, yesterday, got post- published this morning, called me up yesterday and asked me about it. And I said, Look, 
we are now in, um, we are now uh, hanging out with a bunch of 80 year olds in the nursing home who are fighting over who's in line first to get soup, right? It, this shouldn't have happened. Um, Speaker Pelosi um, drove us down this path because she is obsessed. I use that word advisedly. She was obsessed with President Trump, right? That's well, it's the only thing that it's still the only thing that's keeping this party together, the Democratic Party. Uh, and and soon, soon, very soon, these fissures are going to come, you know, glaring out in the light. You know, thank you for bringing that up because I didn't have it on my list, but I thought it was yet another example of do as I say, not as I do. Oh, yeah. Um, and oh, also the artful dodge of passing it on to the cops yeah it, which it, really was annoying like uh you know same as when she said she was set up yeah i was gonna say it was the hairdresser's fault it's always somebody else's fault yeah i hate to go down that road and i do think these folks will churn out eventually but i really hope that uh it is before they do sig any further significant damage and we're going to get into a lot of this as soon as they clear the decks on this impeachment stuff, but they've got a lot of really, really bad stuff that they want to do. Uh, and they're planning on, you know, going for it. Uh, for example, this $15 minimum wage, which, you know, even Biden said on 60 minutes, which I didn't see, I just heard he doesn't think it's going to happen, which was a perfect way to sort of get out, you know, get out of the situation. No way the house, the, the house committee and uh, po popped it into the house bill so uh they're well, not i mean they're and they're also looking to you know you've warned everybody about this but uh they're gonna avoid the filibuster by eviscerating the bird rule in addition to you know abusing the reconciliation process so the cinema slash mansion uh, you know, pledge not to not to uh, lift the filibuster is is really unnecessary for, for yeah. this point. It, you know, it's it's interesting, right? Uh, President Biden um, put it on the parliamentarian, right? They said, "Well, I don't think that's going to be able to pass the reconciliation, right?" Okay, so the only people, person, people who get to decide what's in and out on reconciliation are the parliamentarians, right? And the parliamentarian, the particular person, but his office, right? I think it's a him now. I'm not sure who Senate parliamentarian is. Um, and there was a lot of helpful people in the press and on Twitter who pointed out that, well, yeah, you know, you can overcome a parliamentarian um, objection with a simple majority vote. And I thought to myself, wow, we are, we, you know, the Senate is really off in some dark, dark places here. And, um, you know, I, I expect that Senator Manchin is going to do what Senator Manchin always does when confronted with an honest to God choice instead of, you know, when, when he has to vote instead of talk, he's going to do what he does. Well, of course. Yep. Uh, until he proves, uh, until he proves us wrong, uh, this is the default position. And uh, you've made, you, you take, uh, put out wagers here on the, on the podcast in prior episodes. I'm happy to put out another wager that he will, indeed toe the line on this one as well if it makes it all the way to the end so yeah yep, yep. um hey uh we have a, a final we have a final outcome in new york 22 michael yeah man uh claudia tenney 
109 votes. And how long since the election later? Oh, it's been three months. It's been three months. It has now, been right? three months. And we didn't get into this last week, but uh, apparently Mr. Brindisi conceded um, late uh, Monday afternoon. And uh, basically, so now uh, dropping all the lawsuits. Um, Lots to say about this. I want you, you wanted to talk about the, the how, how is it possible that this could go this long? I don't know if you, you still have an interest in that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 I, I think this is, this is exhibit one of, you know, whatever you think about the election, you know, whatever you think about the election, you can't possibly think this is a legitimate way to run an election, right? Where you're three months down, you know, three months on, and you still haven't decided. Nobody, nobody in the English-speaking world, nobody anywhere does elections this badly. You know, Mark Stein, who I respect tremendously, likes to point out that South Sudan does elections better than we do. Um, you know, maybe we should have some poll watchers from South Sudan come on by next time and help us. Um, we're gonna need some reform. And it just, you know, it. I'm not sure how it happens in this kind of environment. Even if they just pick up the Baker Commission stuff and do it that way, it would be an improvement. Well, we we're gonna get reform HR one, baby. Yeah, see that federalizing the, the elections. Yeah, that, that's what you that's wish for. Problem. You can't really. It, part of me thinks the reason why um, the uh, House Democrats put out HR one first. Um, is to almost make sure you poison the water for any legitimate election reform. You know, you, you, you sure. look at the Republicans and say, okay, you want election reform? Here's what it's going to look like if we do it, right? Um, and, there, and thereby I scare everybody off. Sure. It, I keep coming back to the same problem. It's got to be done by the, it's got to be done by the states, right? And it's not, it's not at all clear to me how it gets done by the states. Yeah, also, um, if you saw that Time Magazine piece... <laughs> There were uh, all these big companies and the chambers of the world <laughs> boasting about the role that they played in the election. Uh, it, you know, you couldn't not time it better. But we actually wish uh, Claudia Tenney uh, all the success in the world and hope she represents her constituents well, which is really what they're supposed to do. But I want to pop a uh, point out a tweet from, uh, I think you know him, Peter Roth. Yeah. So Mr. Roth un uncovered um, a brief from the Democrat lawyers at Perkins Coie, our yep. friends at Perkins Coie. Yep. Um, boy, they, uh, uh, let me read directly from the brief. In this case, there is reason to believe that voting tabulation machines misread hundreds, if not thousands of valid votes as undervotes, and that these tabulation machine errors disproportionately affected Brindisi. So you've got Democratic law firm who is yeah, known, it, known it, for their election law issue uh, specialty, arguing that hmm, maybe perhaps the voting machines tabulated votes for the other candidate. Yeah, it, it you know, the other thing that happened in this space, and I think we talked about this last week, was Amazon, right, in their union election down in Alabama, um, made a pretty impassioned argument that in-person voting was the only way to ensure the, quote, fidelity, great word, the fidelity of the vote. 
Um, there's going to be space for election reform. I, I'm just, I don't know how it gets done, but there's there's space for it because now everybody's starting to think, well, you know, once you once you weaponize election systems against each other, that's a that's the game nobody wins at the end of the day. Yeah, but so, the state I'm, aid I'm hopeful. State aided media seems to omit these these inconsistencies uh, in terms of. I don't even know how that union vote. I don't even know how that union vote went down in Florida, in Alabama, rather. I hope I hope the warehouse guys collectivized on on um, Amazon, right? I can't think of a nicer guy who who deserves it. Well, they don't need. I mean, they don't need to because Bezos pays them so well. So. After all, uh, $15 minimum wage, he's <laughs> lobbying for that, right? So that all the small businesses that can't afford that will what? Go out of business. CBO said it's uh, about a one and a half million dollar job killer right on right out of the box. Um, and speaking of job killers, it's been 22 days since Joe Biden signed the executive order killing yeah. the Keystone Pipeline. And yeah. there are still no green jobs for those union workers who yeah. were laid off. Yeah. It it the the Amazon guys lobbying for the for the 15 bucks minimum wage, right? That that had a that had a terrible swampy flavor to it, right? Uh back to Keystone, I want to play a clip for you. Thank you, Jen. I do have a question on building the first on energy. When is it that the Biden administration is gonna let the thousands of uh, fossil fuel industry workers, whether it's pipeline workers or construction workers, who are either out of work or will soon be out of work because of a Biden EO, uh, when it is and where it is that they can go for their green job. And that is something the administration has promised. Uh, there is now a gap. So I'm just curious when that happens, when those people can count on that. Well, I'd certainly welcome you to present your data of all the thousands and thousands of people who uh, won't be getting a green job. Maybe next time you're here, you can well, present no, that. But you said that they would be getting green jobs, so I'm just asking when that happens. Uh, Richard Trumka, who is a friend, longtime friend mm -hmm. of Joe Biden, says about that day one Keystone EO, he says, I wish he, the president, had paired that more carefully with the thing that he did second by saying, here's where we are creating the jobs. So... There's partial evidence from Richard Trumka. Well, you didn't include all of his interview. Okay. I mean, would you like okay. to include the rest? So, so how about this? Uh, the Laborers International Union of North America said the Keystone decision will cost 1,000 existing union jobs and 10,000 projected construction jobs. Well, what Mr. Trumka also indicated in the same interview was that President Biden has proposed a climate plan with transformative investments in infrastructure and laid out a plan that will not only create millions of good union jobs, but also help tackle the climate crisis. And as the president has indicated when he gave his primetime address uh, to talk about the American Rescue Plan, he talked about his plans to also put forward a jobs plan uh, in the in the weeks or months following. And he has every plan to do exactly that. But uh, there are people living paycheck to paycheck. There are now people out of jobs once the Keystone pipe out of jobs once the Keystone pipeline uh, stopped construction. It's been 12 days since Gina McCarthy and John Kerry were here, and it's been 19 days since that EO. So, what are these people who need money now? When do they get their green job? Well, uh, the the president and many Democrats and Republicans in Congress believe that. Ah, good old. <laughs> Get on the White House press briefing. It's so yeah. fun, isn't it? Yeah, man. It's it's you know it's a 
pointless of series of pointless scotches, but um, but I like the thread, and I, you know, yeah, the press secretary is obviously having a little trouble working her way around it. The, um, you know, the the other thing is, and Tony Clark, who used to be a commissioner at FERC, right, is now with a law firm here in town, Wilkinson, Knauer, and somebody, I think. Anyway, um, Birch, I guess. Um, Tony said something in a story the other day that I thought, that's right. He said, look, by doing what they're doing on Keystone and the other the other stuff, right, the oil and gas EO, he said, they're setting up a world in which no one's going to want to play along with them when it comes time to build transmission or build solar or wind, right? You're going to have Republican states who, if they can stick it to them, stick it to them specifically meaning the Biden administration, says, you know, the Biden folks have essentially incentivized that. Um, I don't know if that's right, but it has the feeling of being right. You know what I mean? You, 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 you come out of the gate, unity, unity, unity. Then the first thing you do is like, stay still, right? Boom, boom. You know, you put, you put a couple of bullets in, in things. Um, it's going to be hard to circle back and say, Hey, let's all get together now and build my stuff. Yeah. Well, it's also kind of, indicative of the uh, stuff going on in Jordan Cove, right? So well, yeah, Jordan Cove. The Eastern, Eastern Oregon clearly stands to benefit from it. The governor of Oregon is doing everything she can to prevent, the, this is the LNG export facility, uh, the first of hopefully many on the west left coast, but uh, so far we haven't, uh, this is the closest. Anyhow, FERC decided uh, to side with the well, they didn't, Washington they didn't on yeah, a permit on a uh, overturning. What was it? The it was a state's four hundred four, and, the, yeah. and they didn't they didn't really have any choice. I mean, the state was you know the the, the state did its thing. FERC has no ability to to toss it over, really. Um, you know, the funny thing is, at the top of the last administration, um, you know, I know at least one or two people who suggested that the only way you're actually going to build any energy facilities west of I five. Um, is to declare a um, an emergency and build it under the Defense Production Act or some variant thereon. I still think that. I still think that, that there's no place on the West Coast where you're going to be able to build something west of I-5. And that's a huge problem, right? Because when the earthquake comes, and I'll, if you notice, I didn't say if the earthquake comes, um, when the earthquake comes, we're going to be in real trouble on the west coast because we have no energy facilities west of i-5 anymore yeah i mean meanwhile even canada is building lng export terminals yeah. to yeah. ship this stuff to japan and taiwan and other yeah it, friendly it, friendly places so you know it, uh, it it's it's crazy for a it's crazy for a nation with two oceans two coastal um you know two coasts on either ocean um not to have facilities on both coasts yeah and i i also brought that up because it, it makes the point uh reinforces the point of what you said which is eastern oregon and weld county colorado wants to become part of wyoming yeah yeah it's obviously been a while they, since i've been to wyoming so <laughs> they are literally they are literally trying to uh figure out a way to be annexed by the state of Wyoming. So. I, I don't blame them at all. Um, I'm, I'm Weld County, maybe. 
I don't know about Eastern Oregon. I assume Sean Conway is still like the king of Weld County. Is he not? I don't know. I don't know. Sean, Sean used to work for uh, uh, Wayne Allard, Bill Armstrong, Bill Armstrong, I guess. Anyway, he, and then he was county supervisor out in Weld and runs a tea party. And he's, um, he's crazier than we are. We should probably <laughs> have him on here. <laughs> I was going to say, that's the measure for having a guest. Are they crazier <laughs> than we are? And by crazy, I mean good crazy, not like crazy, crazy. So, right. He, I guarantee you, Sean would consider us soft <laughs> kind of little so uh circling back to jen sakai for a moment uh because i think given the absence by the way the the revelation in that clip for me was that biden actually had a national address i wasn't even aware of that um, yeah I, you know it's funny <laughs> it's funny you say that i was when when she said that i'm listening to that i'm like did he have a did he have a nationwide address i missed when was that i um the, the fact is, is that we're going to be hearing a lot more from her and a lot less from the president, uh, as, as you indicated in past episodes, the uh, campaign style of work till noon and put a lid on them uh, is, is, it is in full effect right now. I don't look this week, this week alone, it's only Thursday. He's already gone over to the Pentagon to have lunch with the, with the secretary of defense. And he looked at one of the he looked at one of the hallways. He looked at the African American, <laughs> which you know it, it. It that's not something just normal people could do, man. That's a lot of work. Get up, drive over to the Pentagon. Maybe he took the subway. I don't know. And you know, get up there and take the elevator up to the fourth floor and just hang out with the secretary for half an hour. I think what they need to do is equip him with one of those segways. That it, might help it, him out a little bit. Yeah, I, I, um, it, I don't know if we do. We talk about the the visit to the secretary to the to the State Department last week. I don't think so. We talked about him walking down the hall. So his turning, turning left from Oval one day <laughs> and then turning right from Oval the next day. Yeah, that's right. So my so so last week he went to the State Department to have lunch with the Secretary of State, right? And uh, my daughter tweeted out the calendar the official White House calendar. So it was the first one I'd read in a while. Um, it seriously made a five block trip over to the sec to the State Department seem like a trip to France. <laughs> it, 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 for those of you who have trouble with your geography, the back door, side door to the White House is at 17th Street. Um, State Department's at 22nd and C. It is literally five blocks away, right? And um, you know, it had him going to the State Department and giving remarks to newly minted um, foreign service officers and then having a meeting with the secretary and then going back to the White House. It seriously took up a whole page. I mean, the whole shooting match might have been 120 minutes. And it, it did make it sound like he was going someplace. Now, now they must have heard we're making fun of him because two weeks from now, they're going to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And he's having a, um, a what you call it, a town hall with cnn i think so i'm looking forward to that I, I you know that's a that's a big it's a big step out come right? on man don't don't put too much pressure on this guy all right i'm you know i the white house is trying to make him look like a, a hip swinging energetic guy i'm just trying to help as best i can <laughs> all right circling back on the federal lands um conversation we had last week with the 
talented, extremely smart, and lovely Kathleen Sagama. Uh, this article from E&E News, New Mexico seeks clarity on Biden <laughs> oil and gas order. And by clarity, we mean we should New change it. <laughs> New Mexico, the largest federal petroleum producer, is losing oil rigs to private lands in Texas because of industry confusion over Biden administration oil edicts, a state official said this week in a letter to the Interior Department asking for guidance. The 60-day order from Secretary Scott de la Vega was issued days before President Biden signed a climate, exchange, climate change executive order that froze all new oil and natural gas leases on public lands and waters as part of a, quote, larger evaluation of the program. Um, however, in a letter yesterday, Sarah Cottrell Probst, chief of the New Mexico Energy Minerals and Natural Resources Department, said the 60-day order, which reroutes final decisions like drilling approvals to D.C. leadership, has created confusion. She added, we have seen rigs depart New Mexico for temp Texas simply because of the uncertainty caused by the order. I... I I appreciate um, I appreciate the diplomacy, the gentle diplomacy of the bureaucracy. Right? Um, it's not, in fact, the order; it's the confusion caused by the order. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and could you somehow clarify that? Like, like somehow all the E and P guys don't have lawyers who can read this and be like, "Yeah, this is bad news. Let's just DD out of here right now." It it. I give New Mexico full credit for both trying to do something without trying to get off the reservation. Um, I'm looking forward to the response from the Department of Interior. Uh, what do you say? Yeah. Hey, here's yeah. your clarification. Your yeah. toast. Yeah. Well, this this goes back to our point and and may actually play uh, into the hands of uh, Kathleen's lawsuit is the utterly arbitrary uh, nature of how they're going to make some decisions. They approved some tracks up in the National Petroleum Reserve in Alaska because Murkowski and, and probably Sullivan, but Murkowski probably more to the point made, made the argument for them to approve the leases because the drilling season ends in April. But yeah, there's some underlying issue there, right? Deb Holland needs to be confirmed still. So you scratch my back, I scratch your back, bing, bing, bing. You know, maybe she'll be a little bit nicer on Holland. So it, it, um, it's a bad road for, for the administration to go down, right? It, it tribes, Alaska, Holland, New Mexico, you know, they, they'd be much better off because, you know, people like Kathleen are sitting out there waiting, right? They'd be much better off just saying, no, you didn't, you, you know, the, the, the guys abandoning Eastern New Mexico totally grasp what's going on. Um, you know, they, here's the clarification. Yeah. So, thanks. Yeah. I, I, I'm, like I said, I'm really interested in how interior comes back. You know, so far, no Democrat has broken on Holland and Martin Heinrich certainly can't. Yeah. Um, so I'm not I'm not sure which Democrat would break. I, it was interesting that, right? Steve Daines got up and said, "I'm a no on this one," um, and right at the same the same week he said that, John Tester and Joe Manchin, you know, communicated separately to the White House that said, "Hey, you made a mistake on Keystone." Um, I, you know, I get it that part of that is trying to clean up the record afterwards. 
Um, but part of me wonders if, if there's not something going on subterranean among the Democrats I said, Hey man, you've got to, you know, you got to, you got to give us one of these. You got to either um, give us New Mexico or give us Keystone. You can't hose us on both. Yeah. I just think that, uh, you know, this is, you know, I, I'm not naive to say that there isn't horse trading, et, et cetera, going on. But when your entire, when your masters are now sitting up on Pennsylvania Avenue, as opposed to customers, this is the type of world that we get, right? I mean, you look oh, yeah. at the, the automakers, we keep going back to them. Uh, but it's case in point. Give you another example. The I think it was the EPA at least maybe maybe the Biden administration, DO, DOJ or whatever, just basically let Ford off the hook. They were investigating their emissions uh, reporting. Yeah. They dropped all of that just now. Yeah. Yeah, we'll let that one slide, guys. Hmm. But you'll be coming into our office, Gina McCarthy's office, for some meetings on how we're going to re- restructure the auto industry going forward, right? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what that was about, too. And we'll put an article about the Ford deal in the show notes. Yeah. And I, and I don't, you know, by the way, I don't expect the administration is going to going to give anybody anything on oil and gas. I don't think they're going to give New Mexico anything. I don't think they're going to give John Tester anything. I don't think they're going to give Senator Manchin anything. Why should they? I wouldn't if I was them. All right. Uh, this wanted to pull something from the wall street journal today. Uh, and this is the, the sum total of my COVID update for today. <laughs> Cause I'm trying to stop. I'm trying to get out of this rat hole on COVID. Let me just get this one thing off my chest though, before I read this article, which is it two masks, one mask. I, I, I don't understand. And where's the flu? Where's the flu? There's no flu season this year. Yeah. it's it's a mystery to me the um it's funny you say this because i've been working on this theory for a while and here we are with the two mask one mask thing you want my you want my big theory bring it on baby okay uh since you're you're too young to remember cyclamates but um at least in cyclamates and probably there's probably an instance before, right? We have had conflicting advice out of the scientific community, right? For, so for 50 years, more or less, we've had conflicting advice out of the scientific community. And I could give you any number of examples, but I'll give you just a couple, right? Um, Alar, remember the Alar scare? Sure. Yeah. Right. Um, Where it turned out not really a problem. Saccharin, right? Saccharin, where it turns out you would have had to drink, um, you know, like carloads, train carloads full of um, soda before, you know, the saccharin would kill you. And long before saccharin killed you, your, you know, your kidneys would have shut down and everything else would have shut down. Um, um, Right on through to is, you know, what's the best diet? I mean, you still, you know, there's still significant question over what's best, the diet that's low in carbohydrates or low in fats, right? Don't forget too how the Union of Concerned Scientists uh, came came to the map, which was their edicts on movie time, popcorn, movie theater, popcorn, right? you name it, right? Like these guys are the worst. Right. Don't get me started and, on that. We're going to tell so, stories about the, the transition. 
Well, so the science guys, my, 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 my theory is this, that the science community has, has undermined itself for at least two generations here in the United States. And then we get to an actual public health emergency, um, this, this coronavirus, right? Which, whatever you think about it, is probably the most um, serious thing that we've faced, at least in, in my lifetime, right? And the science community seems to be amazed that everything they say isn't being treated like gospel. Um, and I'm like, it's because it, it has nothing to do with Trump. It has nothing to do with anything. It, what it has to do with is you guys have systematically undermined your own self for two generations. And now when you need the credibility, you don't have any. And that's the way credibility is, right? You don't, you don't pick it up when you need it. You pick it up before you need it. And this two mask thing is a perfect example of it because the question comes immediately to mind, well, if one mask is pointless, then why have we been forced to wear masks for a year now? Well, it, it, yeah. it, one, okay. So it's one mask. Where, is, do, where do I one, go to get that answer? One mask is pointless. However, the, all the news articles talking about the mysterious disappearing flu have pointed to the isolation and the masks and the flu shot as the reason that there are no flus. There are literally no flus this year. Uh, so the mask seems to work for flus, but not for COVID unless you have two. Uh, it, but, but you're, but to your point, this is why people are not buying what, these guys are selling on the other hand there's a whole segment of the population that worships anthony fauci and the you know the the believe in this believe in science phrase is just well it's like it, it's like it, it's like defeating <laughs> look it's like um it's every bit as ridiculous as the pres you know the previous presidents um you know we're going to declare war on the virus. I'm like, yeah. Oh, okay. Where do we drop the bombs for that? <laughs> right. um, well, it, we're spending well, money like we're in wartime. That's right. right. Or truthfully, like the war on climate change, like, okay. Does that mean we're going to drone strike coal plants in China? I, what are, what are you doing here? So, perfect, so this perfect segue when you're done, let me know. Yeah. So uh, no, I was just, it, it, Believing in science is a lazy is a lazy person's approach, right? So it's no surprise that that our new president, who has a little trouble with energy, um, has chosen it, right? Um, because it assumes it assumes that science has answers, right? And the thing is, is and this was this is my problem with President Trump, right? His 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 mistake that he made in dealing with the virus was he listened uncritically to the scientists at first. Well, he resisted at first, but then he sort of relented, and then he started doing his little daily show uh, yeah. with those guys, and that that was part of the issue. Yeah, and and you know elevated elevated them instead of instead of you know their. Their you know, job, their job as experts is to advise, not to decide. Do you know how wealthy Anthony Fauci is? No clue. Yeah, we'll talk about that in our next COVID update. Um, I look forward to it. <laughs> and and one last thing, Pfizer, uh, who was on, uh, there was an article the other day, said that 
he, they're on track to make $15 billion um, the next from their next uh, reporting has also indicated that, well, we might need a third boost. We, we might, might need annual boosters. We might need third shots in some cases. These yeah, variants, yeah, yeah. these mutants. I just, I'm not sure we're going to capture them all. So uh, I'm not getting, I'm not going to go down this road, but uh, you know, yeah, I guess yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying not to go down this road. So I will shift over to what I want to talk about, which is Wall Street Journal today, Beijing feels pinch of coal import curb. So um, <clears throat> I'll just read the start of this. China's ban on Australian imports is intensifying a crisis in its coal market, which is battling surging prices, supply shortages, conflicting policy goals, and a cold winter. Locked in a diplomatic brawl over Canberra's, is that how you say it? Canberra? Canberra. Canberra's call for an independent global inquiry into the origins of COVID-19. Beijing imposed an informal ban around September that forced boatloads of Australian coal to languish at sea. China's central government made the embargo official at a mid-December meeting with major Chinese electricity producers, which by the way, that meeting was originally designed to get them out of their coal crunch. And by the way, since then, a lot of those uh, ships have been routing themselves to places like Japan and others uh, at a premium. So uh, China, uh, and this is one other fact I want to bring up in this article, China, so coal supplies about 60% of China's energy consumption, more than half of which goes towards electricity generation. So Two things in there. One is that the reason they got into this mess in the first place is because Australia had the audacity to call China on this COVID business in the first place. Meanwhile, the WHO is running around saying, oh, yeah, they're letting us have access to all these documents and information. They're being very open about their uh, uh, about this. And yet we don't seem to find anything different about what they reported in the first place. So. Why are they going to such great lengths to punish Australia for having the audacity to call for an international inquiry into the origins of COVID-19 and basically killing some of their citizens as a result? Well, I mean, you, you, you know what's going on. I mean, what, you know, the, the, the Chinese are, are trying to, the Chinese communists are trying to expand their sphere of influence in the South Pacific. Right. And, um, you know, Japan, Australia, India are the three other members of the Quad, along with the United States, that are um, cycled up around and against the against the Chinese communists. Um, Australia is the weakest link in that, right? China really can't. Uh, you know, China's Australia's biggest trading partner. Um, they are they are the dominant power in that part of the world, and if you you know if you're the Australians, it's easy. It you know you got 25 million people versus a billion and a half. It's easy to um, get get um, cowed. Now, with all with respect and very great respect to the Australians, they refused, right? And the Chinese didn't just object to the um, to the call for the examination into the into the um, coronavirus. They also um, Asked, asked Australia to revisit its um, its societal its societal elements that led up to that call, including 
you know, free speech and representative democracy and a bunch of other stuff that, you know, the Australians can't possibly revisit, put that in quotes, right? Right. So, you know, this is about muscling the Australians and, and damaging them and trying to see if you can sink them economically and make them even more dependent on China. Um, it, it, you know, they did just flip over to the WHO thing for a second. It, it was funny that they were on the ground for a week and they gave a press release that they gave up a press conference where, where the lead investigator said it's extremely unlikely that this thing originated in a lab in Wuhan and we should um, not waste our time in crying, you know, down, running down a line of inquiry anymore. Um, I, I thought to myself, I don't think there's a single soul on this planet who's going to buy that. And sure enough, there's not a single soul on this planet who bought that, right? Outside of the WHO bureaucracy and the Chinese communist bureaucracy. Yeah, well, the state, the the state favored media here in this country is not is not even interested in scratching the surface on this issue either. Well, they're not. But to their to their credit, even the Biden administration, you know, when they got you know when that report was coughed up, even the Biden guys were like, "Yeah, I, I don't think that's right. We probably need to keep looking at this." Um, yeah, and it's important to know too, and I mentioned as I mentioned that um, Japan and India are are buying that coal. So, sure. I mean, and it, the last it, bit of irony here is is that you know these enviros in this country are you know cheering you know she and and all this climate business, and I just read the fat the stat sixty six zero percent of their of their consumption energy consumption is coal-based so and, and you know the, the the chinese um you know the chinese at a province level have a vested interest in building as many coal plants as they can right because it's capital infrastructure and they've been they've been instructed to spend as much as they can on capital infrastructure some of those plants aren't going to be needed some of them aren't going to be used most are and um you know as long as it takes um as long as it takes china and india to come into the middle class um you know to bring most of their folks into middle class they're gonna they're gonna burn coal and that, that's you know i i said this i think i said this the last show you know since the kyoto protocol was signed carbon dioxide emissions on this planet have gone up 50 percent um yes that's <laughs> you know that that's not like we said last time it's not necessarily about government. It's about markets and people are always going to prefer inexpensive energy over expensive energy. Yeah. They just it, it, just another reminder for folks who, because I did get an, a media inquiry the other day based on <laughs> someone you. reading our, re, listening to our podcast. So for other reporters out there who are listening, because we don't sign up for big government top-down command and control policies or because we don't sign up for things like taxing lower income people or seniors or others on, on fixed incomes, the disabled, et cetera, does not mean that we don't think that there are ways to tackle these challenges. And we happen to believe that the market forces are vastly superior, but uh, I want to talk about one more article on this. So you didn't get a call about my profanity, my use of profanity on the show? Not yet. <clears throat> we did get an inquiry about some leases in Alaska, though. Uh, 
Anyway, here's an article from C- CBS News. So uh, it's not a fake news outlet. Uh, well, Paris. Four, four environmental groups are crying victory after France was found guilty of yeah. failing to meet climate change goals it committed to in a historic accord signed in and named after its own capital city. The administrative tribunal in Paris ruled Wednesday that France had fallen short of its promise to reduce greenhouse gases under commitments made in the 2015 Paris Agreement and was quote-unquote responsible for ecological damage for those who say, oh, this thing doesn't mean anything, it's no big deal. For us who said, yes, it does, it commits huge amounts of taxpayer money, uh, assuming that the Congress will appropriate it, or if the agencies or the administration redirects those resources, it's still taxpayer money. And oh, by the way, they will use it to create a record in the courts, which is what they're seeking to do and have succeeded here in Paris. Yeah. Um, you know, the great thing is, is that uh, Emmanuel Macron doesn't care. He, he's like, sure, whatever you boys do, you, you do you, good luck on you, right? Um, I saw that. I, I, I saw that. It entertained me. I'm not sure if I was supposed to be annoyed or entertained, but I was entertained. Um, and then the, um, the more interesting thing out of Paris this last week was Emmanuel Macron gave a speech in which he identified American um, leftists' um, obsession with wokeness, with critiques of colonialism, with um, um, all, all sorts of post-Western thought um, critiques as eroding um, France's stability. He said, you know, I don't thank, know. Thank you for bringing that up. I was, I, I was going to bring that up, but yeah, yeah it, good. It was, it, you know, the thing about the French, the, the great and the terrible thing about the French is um, they tend to say whatever's on their mind, right? They don't, they don't, you know, they're not, not the Americans who sort of don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And they're not the Irish who always try to put something like in a lot of padding. So you're never sure what it is they mean. You know, the French are just like, bang, here it is. Macron's thing was um, really interesting. I, 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 I haven't fully thought about it, but it's, it, it, it is. Um, he was, he's clearly concerned about the fractures in his own society and how America's endless blathering um, hurts those, exacerbates those. What was your thoughts on it? Well, I th- I agree with you. I thought I thought that it was refreshing to hear. I'm uh, I'm often a critic of <laughs> Macron. I call him Jean Girard from the the, 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 the Ricky Bobby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got it. Talladega Nights. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's stark, um, and it's. <sighs> Okay. It, it would be good if we had an American politician who was willing to say the same thing. It would be, and it would be good if we, if you know, you see this New York Times deal, yet another victim of something somebody said. Yeah, um, ten years ago, and some Don, kid with seven Don, Don, followers Don, on Twitter. Yeah, you know, it, it, I mean, I don't, I, I'm not, I don't have a lot of sympathy for reporters from the New York Times per se, but this is a perf- another perfect example of it. And then one other thing, you're you're going to be like, why are you bringing this up? But uh, you know, I got three small kids at home. Disney just fired. I saw that. 
they just fired um, Gina Carano, who plays uh, uh, a, a, I can't, I don't know what her title is, but she's a, a badass in the Mandalorian series, which is just really good. And, and we're, you know, we're loving it here at home. But she, she basically um, had made some suggestions that conservatives, and actually Scott Adams tweeted it very well. Uh, the Mandalorian uh, star was fired for suggesting that conservatives could get fired these days for voicing their opinions in public, uh, which she got fired for voicing her opinions in public. And they pointed to the fact that she said that, you know, at first uh, people were, criticized for you know uh basically ratting on each other right and then that led to a whole bunch of other atrocities and i don't know what else she said i'm not really sure it's like that it's like that congresswoman from georgia like i'm not sure all that she said mtg is that what they're calling her these days it's not that it's what the response is that bothers me in this case they fired her her agent canned her it was swift they had actually set up uh, a deal where she was going to do a spinoff. That's how popular her character was. And they sacked her like immediately and said she was despicable or her comments were despicable. Yeah, I saw that. Okay, but let me let me throw the kicker in. The co-star, Pedro Pascal, who plays the masked man, mm-hmm. um, tweeted in June of 2018, this is America, hashtag, with a picture of people in with us with a picture of a split image of germany comma 1944 with people behind wires and america comma 2018 with little children behind bars i guess to symbolize the uh detain detention facilities yeah. at the border yeah what is the difference uh, that that's easy disney agrees with his and don't doesn't agree with hers um it it yeah so i have no idea what she said either i know that disney identified it as abominable and despicable which if you think about an organization that um isn't just sort of half involved with the chinese communists but is fully in bed with the chinese communists yeah i was about to go there thank you and and um shot some of their movie mulan in um xinjiang I don't know what you have to do to be abominable. I mean, you know, like I said, these are guys who play footsie with people who shoot other human beings simply because of who they are um, and incarcerate human beings because of what they believe. Um, I, I was a little surprised. I wasn't surprised by the New York times, right? You, you know, the New York times has been, um, the New York times has been a, a disease carrier now for years so the idea that they have leprosy doesn't surprise me at all i'm, I'm like oh hey surprise new york <laughs> times has leprosy yeah um, you know you you and i both know times reporters and you know i, I would be amazed if if at least uh, one or two of the reporters that we know wasn't on that letter of the 150 people who signed it and sent it you, you want to have fun ask a reporter next time they call you from the times say could you get me a li- could you get me that letter? I'd like to see the signatory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I got a feeling I won't be called again after that. Well, I did it. You know, Politico had the same thing, right? Politico, when they had Ben Shapiro um, 
uh, do uh, do their playbook in the morning, right? 120 of them signed a letter to their editor, how terrible and how shocked and hurt they were. First couple of Politico reporters, you know, called me after that. I said, were you on that letter? And like one guy said, no. And one guy said, I don't want to answer that. I'm like, okay. So, so. Meaning yes. Yeah, of course. So, you know, I asked for a copy of the letter. Oh, we don't have it. I don't have it. I'm like, in a newsroom where 120 people signed a letter, you can't find a copy. Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> you can't, you can't drum that up for me. You're a reporter and you can't <laughs> find it. Really? So, so like I said, Politico, New York times, you know, when you say, Hey, they're rotten. Of course they're rotten. I already know that. Right. Mark Cuban, you know, Mark Cuban's, you know, corrupt and rotten. Of course. Star Spangled Banner. No more. Right? Forget that. Right. Mark. Did you see the Dallas stars with the, they, they came out and said, we will continue to proud this, the hockey team. I think yeah. they're the stars. We'll they're continue to proudly uh, play the national anthem before all of our games. So. Well, but you know, a guy like Cuban, I mean, he, he, he's been the foremost apologist for the, for the league's involvement with the Chinese communists. So, you know, again, there are some people you're surprised by the rot in, some people you're not. I'm surprised by the rot in Disney. Um, and and I don't want to hit this too hard because I'm sure lots of our viewers, um, are, I'm sure many of our three listeners um, <laughs> are part of this problem. But I guarantee you, everybody who's complaining now has a subscription to Disney+. Plus. Well, I was just going to say, I do too. And my kids, you know, my kids love it and we love the show. And it's like, what does a guy like me do? in this situation right i mean if i if it was just me i'd cancel it in a heartbeat i think you um, tell the kids if you want to pay for it you pay for it but i'm not paying for it you pay for it out of your you pay for it out of your out of your um your allowance ah man it's just it's really just i know it's and they and that's and that's why they get away with it right because they know middle america and this is a larger problem with with political movements in general the American center has never been comfortable with boycotts. Yeah. Just don't, just don't do it. It did work once though. Um, our, our F-150 lovers in the, in the West boycotted Ford when Bill Ford was doing all his crazy stuff and it actually worked yeah. for a little while. So it does work. But, but see, those uh, we just need those to band together and do it. Those so. aren't middle Americans, right? Those are, those are, those are people who are, those are ranchers and construction workers and guys who are much more likely to say, you know what? How about if you go F yourself? Yeah. Um, then you're average American, right? Yeah. It's just crazy to me. Like just how, how quickly this wokeness has just penetrated. I mean, it's almost like it's, it, they've been, they've been clawing at it and clawing at it. And then it just hit a tipping point and now it's just over the top. And we yeah. really do need to focus on, the China nexus with all of this uh, yeah. as you described with Mark Cuban and with Disney. Sure. How long, how Name long it. did it take you? How long did it take? How long did it take the times to hire those 150 guys on that letter about McNeil? Probably took them 10 years to assemble that team, right? Yeah. How long did it take Politico to hire those 120 people on the letter about Shapiro? Again, it probably took them five, six, seven years. So this is, these are termites have been anyway at the foundation for a while. Yeah. 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 Speaking of uh, rotten things, uh, let me play a clip for you and uh, let's talk a little bit about it because this is the disturbing clip of the week. Uh, hang on here. 
And again, that's not us saying so, John Holman. That is a bulletin released to all law enforcement earlier this week that there is, until the end of April, a persistent threat of domestic extremism, domestic uh, terrorism carried out in the ideology and around this belief that the election um, was fraudulent, that the COVID restrictions are unnecessary. All of those ideologies pushed by Donald Trump. But, but my question for you is around incitement. Um, we had a policy, and it was very controversial. It was carried out under the Bush years and under the Obama years of attacking terrorism at its root, of going after and killing um, and in the case of Amar al-Awlaki, an American, a Yemeni American, with a drone strike for the crime of inciting violence, inciting terrorism. Mitch McConnell was in the Senate then. He was in the Senate after 9-11 too. How does Mitch McConnell, who understands that the way you root out terrorism is to take on, in the case of Islamic terrorism, kill those who incite it, how does he not vote to convict someone that he said on the floor of the Senate incited an insurrection? Did you catch that one? Yeah, I did. Uh, who was that? That's a, that's a that new is Nicole Wallace at MSNBC, former Bush flack. I'm going to say another, another, another Bush administration star. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, she was obviously going after McConnell, but she was also laying the predicate for killing um, people who believe killing Americans who believe that the election was somehow fraudulent um, or rather killing the leaders of that squad of people who incite them. Um, I'm, I'm always very concerned about, um, I'm always very concerned about, about how people approach free speech questions in this country. Um, uh, you know, it, it, incitement to violence is one thing. Incitement to think something, to think about something a different way is totally different. Um, and, and the, when somebody like Nicole Wallace um, conflates the two, it's we're we're in a we're in a pretty dark spot, right? Yeah, um, I, I mean, I really don't know what else to to add to that, other than you know I understand that the T. I think we're getting into PTDS also uh, post Trump derangement syndrome. I mean, I understand MSNBC has a certain audience. But I mean, you look at this, you listen to this, you listen to Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo jagging back and forth about like just trashing, just trashing Americans, you know, and laughing. And it's just so fun as if they've forgotten that 75 million people voted for Donald Trump. Right. And that's, you know, and that's the thing that I don't, that's the thing I don't quite get about, about, about any of this stuff. Right. Um, they, 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 the, 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 I had not heard that before, but the little, the, the promo from Nicole Wallace was interesting, right? If you have questions about lockdown, if you have questions about electoral fraud, she just equated you to a domestic terrorist. That's right. And, and, you know, I don't know, I literally don't know anybody who doesn't have questions about the lockdown. I, I literally, I don't know assault, including Biden, but Biden voters, by the way. Um, you know, I don't know what their end game here is. I don't know how this story ends. I, I don't know what they think the, the, you know, 40 million odd families who voted for, for Trump or 
are just going to do or forget that, right? The 50 Republican senators or the 26 Republican governors or the 62 state legislative bodies run by Republicans, you know, it, it, they are trying to carve off more than half the population and make it out of bounds to think what you think. And that's not how this story ends. No, it sure isn't. And, and I think I have a partial answer to your question. I think those who follow blindly the wide range of diverging opinions that are, uh, you know, one week it's this and the next week it's the exact opposite as you're just supposed to follow blindly is that they're partially and or, or to some extent, largely immune from the pain. Yeah. If they don't have to worry about if they've got, you know, everything taken care of, they can fly, you know, uh, private jets, uh, you know, even going down even uh, to upper income levels, you can mitigate your circumstances and be perfectly comfortable. And you can, you can survive this for a very long time. Yeah. I think there's a lot of that. I also think it's partially dependent, depends on, depends on where you come from. Right. Um, you know, um, Press secretary is a good example, right? Press secretary is indifferent to job losses. Um, my guess is she, um, I hesitate to say this because I don't know it, but she grew up in Greenwich, Connecticut, right? It's the richest single place in the United States. I'm willing to bet that she probably never met an unemployed person until she was a grown person. Yeah, I do know when I get called for TV hits, which isn't that often because I have a face for radio, that I usually get a driver in a car pick me up and drop me back off where wherever my destination was. So, yeah. uh, well, anyways, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> uh, I guess we, this is—I guess we could call this the. If we have a show title, it's called the Deep Convo. I mean, we're getting really. I was going to say we're getting deep stuff here. Um, let me let me. I got one thing, and then I got a clip of the day. Yep. Um, and then whatever you got going, <laughs> bring up our buddy Gavin Newsom from the Daily Wire today. Organizers reportedly hit number of signatures required to force recall vote for Gavin New- Gavin Newsom. They hit the 1.5 million, but they're shooting for two because there's obviously going to be signatures that they have to throw away. This is on. It's live, as as far as I can tell. Usually very difficult to throw this thing out. So uh, before we get into the conversation, I want to throw a little clip. Gov- Gavin Newsom, I think he's trying real hard here. He's, he's venturing into the Central Valley, talking about vaccine rollouts, ongoing negotiations to get kids back to school and youth sports, etc. cetera. Um, see if you can catch what's going on in the background of this clip. Here we go. since last October when we began the process of changing our protocols as it relates to the distribution of the same. <laughs> you mentioned the City College, I believe. Do you mean Fresno City College will be the up and serve site? And it's a... <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should see his face on this video. He's w- literally wincing, like he's trying to avoid it. So Recall new song. He should he should have just invited the guy over. I know, right? This is, he should have just said, look, let's just Yeah, this I, is I, happening, Mike. This know, is gonna be fun. We're I think we're gonna have a lot of good material for the show once this recall election oh, starts. I, I I there's no doubt in my mind. I mean it's it's a um 
I only regret New York doesn't have recall, right? Oh, yeah. Because I think Cuomo would, would have gotten recalled by now. You know, I think Gavin's going to hang on. But I have to be honest with you. I didn't think they were going to get the signatures. I thought this thing was a lark. <laughs> so I kind of wonder. Well, yeah. unfortunately, there's only about like half a million more people in the state uh, who are conservative these days. But, uh, you know, he's got two candidates already lined up. Uh, they've made they said publicly I'm running if if he doesn't if if he doesn't if he survives and doesn't get the recall forced on him, they're going to run against him for his reelect. So uh, I think there, you know, are, there are people who are gravely concerned about this, though, Mike, what? Uh, Oh, what yeah. are some opinions that you've heard yeah, about yeah. this? Politico, Politico already, you know, already, already harumph that, you know, this, you know, Gavin Newsom's being recalled just at a moment when he needs to, you know, guide California through two years of crisis that um, he created. I'm like, yeah, seriously, the guy's responsible for some of it. Um, it, you know, the thing about California, and you know this better than I do, um, you could win in California not necessarily as a conservative, but as a libertarian. You know, if you, if you came at it from a libertarian bent with a fix the schools and fix the highways message, you could win. Yeah, because they're, you know, they're not, they're not uh, you know, social, they're, they're not on the, you know, often on the right side on social issues, so. Well, but think about the props, right? Think about the props this cycle, right? The Uber prop thing won, right? The, the gig workers. Mm -hmm. The good guys won that. The business property tax, the good guys won that. The affirmative action won. The good guys won that. So, you know, the props in the last cycle almost give you a little pathway for how you win this thing, right? You know, you're, you're libertarian and you, you know, you steer um, away from some of your stuff and you steer into where the Democratic weak spots are, right? It, 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 it would take a different kind of person. Hey, look, you know, those guys panned it as, you know, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of deplorable Trump lovers and, you know, anti-science COVID people, his press guy. You yeah, know, I remember his press guy said, over Nobody, nobody's interested in this. Like, yeah. That's when they had like a million signatures. I'm like, we, except we, for the we're focused on, on getting this, you know, getting out of this crisis. Uh, yeah. So basically, uh, <laughs> it's kind of, this is, this is, this we talked one of our first episodes since you departed from your very astute esteemed position in the white house this french laundry thing was the catalyst for yeah this. man yeah man it 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 um i think it was kierkegaard it was one of the swedish philosophers who said life can only be understood looking backwards but it has to be lived looking forwards yeah looking backward at that you're like that was a moment right what was that? That was at the end of summer. Oh, I had to go probably closer to the fall, September, October, because we started back up. Yeah, I don't think we started back up until September. So, yeah. and, and, you know, and he, he seemed to do a good job at it, but then facts kept dribbling out. And you're just like, okay, <laughs> okay. Oh, this is great. Uh, I'm very excited for this. This should be a lot of fun. Besides, it's just, he just, he's just the gift. He's like John Kerry. He's just the gift that keeps giving for us. You know, he, he kind of looks like Kerry too. Um, all right. What else do you have for us, sir? That's it for me. I think we've talked enough. All right. Um, I don't have my clip of the day is a little, a little bit different, but I want to give a, a shout out to 
um, a guy who's been taking a lot of licks over the last couple of years. But, um, um, you know, when this all comes, you know, when this all gets a, gets a look back, uh, I think he's going to come out uh, as one of the more reasoned and, and more sensible uh, executives uh, in this whole process. So let me just play this clip for you. Florida also led and continues to lead on protecting the livelihoods of our people. While so many other states kept locking people down, Florida lifted people up. We believe every job is essential. You work in a restaurant, we have your back. If you are a hairstylist, we protect your right to earn a living. And if you are a parent, we ensure your kids have the right to attend school in person. Lockdowns do not work. School closures have been disastrous. Yet even today, we see across our country, businesses shuttered, lives ruined, and schools closed. Indeed, in major parts of the country, students might not return to in-person instruction until the fall. Florida schools are open. Every Floridian has a right to work. All businesses have a right to operate. And Florida is better for it. Yeah, he... Um he he's going to be a pretty formidable candidate for president in 2024. Yeah. And part of the reason I'm, I'm itching to go down, I want a little bit of freedom, baby. Yeah, no, I, I think he's more than any other governor. He's, he has covered himself in glory on this thing. Christy Nome is the only other one I can think of, right? Those, those two, um, if you had to pick front runners in 2024 for the Republican nomination, those two would be the front runners right this minute. I think it'd be nice to get us back to to a, a situation where executives, uh, yeah, you know, matter. have a little bit of a leg up in this process because, you know, even as small of a state like uh, North Dakota uh, is still, you know, you still have an executive, you know, you, you have experience running something. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to these senators who just like to talk and write letters. So yeah. I, I, I did not think that three months ago but i think that now those two have those two have just run away from the field i'm not saying that they're going to be the nominees but right now they're ahead well and the other thing too is it's a really really big diverse state yeah man if you can win in florida you can win in the united states so it's all right, well uh to the governor we we thank you for your your leadership and for not cowering to the mob uh stay strong and hopefully uh one of these days I might be calling myself a resident of your fine state. And that's a wrap for the uh, unregulated podcast. Peace out, everybody. Next week, we'll be back and uh, we'll be scouring the universe for a special guest. So if any of you listeners have any suggestions for us, I want to have John. I want to have John Icon. We should have John Icon. I hear he's a big, big fan. (laughs) Peace out, everybody. That's a wrap. No account for tape. That was (laughs)